This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we're in the middle of a series from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's called A Beautiful Mess because that's exactly what the church was. A beautiful mess. We've learned quite a bit about uh, this church in Corinth. Paul has already, through chapters 1 and 4, talked to them about divisions. He's talked to them about their misunderstanding of the gospel. They thought it was like Christian 101, and then you move on from that to the more heavy-duty stuff, the spiritual stuff, the, the interesting stuff. And he, So he corrected that thinking. Instead, they were buying into some worldly wisdom, the kind of thinking that happens out there. They thought that was sharper than what was coming out of the gospel. Because of that, and because of this worldly attitude, they were picking sides. They were trying to figure out which leader was the coolest, the slickest, the most uh, sophisticated. And they were kind of aligning themselves and actually dividing over that. And Paul addressed them. And he said, the res- one of the results of that is that you guys are carnal. You're fleshly. You're babies. Even though they should have been growing up in their faith, they were still babies. They thought they had outgrown Paul. They thought they were moving on to deeper stuff. Paul has to call them back to say, there isn't anything deeper than what I told you when you first believed. So chapters 1 through 4 really deal a lot with those divisions, the causes and the results of those divisions. Starting today, in chapters 5 and in chapter 6, he's going to move on from this topic of division to, I guess, there was... There were, there were lots of divisions. I would say now he's going to talk about a lack of discipline, a lack of order. If you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or we'll project it up here too. But I really encourage you, by the way, if you have your scriptures, flip to those passages. I think it's always more helpful for us to see it in our, in our, in our hands than up here. But either one, whatever works for you. Let's begin reading in uh, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5. He writes this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, now, right away, we live in a world that's immersed in immorality and the sensationalism of people being discovered. A headline like this sounds like a headline that we would hear on any given day. He says it's actually reported. And the the wording that he uses here, it's more like it's common knowledge. Everybody knows. It's on the Internet, for crying out loud, okay? Everybody is hearing the same thing. What is the same thing? That there's sexual immorality among you. But that should be enough. Believers should go, (gasps) But he says, and the kind of sexual immorality is the kind that even pagans don't participate. They don't tolerate. Again, we live in a world that tolerates quite a bit. Way too much, most of us would agree. Isn't it interesting to notice what even the world still doesn't tolerate? There are things. There are things that they put up with all the time, and then there are things where suddenly there's outrage. Somebody uh, is having some immoral interaction and they're like, oh, whatever. But if a child is involved, suddenly we're enraged. People need to die, you know? Or, uh, or if people are enslaved or something and suddenly we're just aghast. The, here's the point, even though, yes, there's some inconsistency, but what was existing there is still exists today. 
there are standards that even the world finds shocking. Now, in the Roman world, there was a lot of junk going on with their Greek influence and whatever. There was a lot of things that were overlooked. We've already talked in previous series about the fact that in many cultures, prostitution was actually part of worship. That's messed up. In a culture where prostitution could be part of worship, how in the world would you find anything that would be shocking? But in this culture, what he's saying is incest is shocking. Actually, that would be on our list too, wouldn't it? So he says, this is the kind of stuff that even pagans don't participate with. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. He says, is sleeping, it's kind of apparent that it's an ongoing relationship. He's not describing a a one-night stand, a fling. He's saying this is an ongoing relationship that everybody knows about. His father's wife, it's pretty clear that it's not his biological mother. Obviously, it most likely a stepmother. And there's a lot of debate about whether the father is still alive or not, and we won't, it doesn't matter. The whole point is the setting of this is clearly wrong. And he's saying, I can't believe this is happening. And he goes on to say this, and you are proud. Not only is this happening in the church, but you are proud. Now, before we get into how in the world are you proud about somebody else's sin, first, let me just highlight something. A man is having this terrible immoral relationship, and who is he addressing? Paul is addressing the church, not the man. We would perhaps expect that this guy is going to get unloaded on. And and Paul is going to address him. But Paul's concern in this letter is not with the immorality of the man so much as it is with the response of the church. Are you uncomfortable yet? If you're not yet, you will be. Because if what Paul writes to the Corinthian church also applies to us, we have some thinking to do. He's going to kind of put the world on a different axis for us. He says, you're proud. How in the world can a person be proud of sin in your church? I'm really, seriously, think about that. If someone here was all of a sudden in the papers, all of a sudden all across the Internet, in what way could we possibly be proud of that? Well, actually, it's not as bizarre as it sounds. Think of some of the infamous things that are cruising across the Internet even now. You think about this case with Erin Andrews and the terrible video and her privacy being violated and, and, or, or whatever, whatever the, the, the thing is going on. But what if, what if one of those people in the, one of those situations attended your church? If we're honest... If we were at work and the subject came up, how many nanoseconds would it be before you'd say, they go to my church? Why would we say that? Because we all like to be kind of close to something that's newsworthy, even if it's bad. Of course, as soon as we mention that they go to our church, we might even say, why did I say that? (laughs) But maybe this person that was committing this was famous. Maybe they were rich. Maybe they were rich and famous. I don't know. Maybe, remember, they were already picking sides over teachers 
I'm not surprised to think that they would also be proud of rich, famous, powerful people coming to their church. It's also possible, though, that what they are proud of is that they come to our church and we don't have a problem with it. We're tolerant. And this is where you and I are going to struggle today. If you're a regular attender at Crossroads or you're a a shareholder here, we're going to struggle with this. Now, today, if you're a guest today, you're kind of listening in. We're going to talk as a family. We're really glad you're here. If if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you're not a believer yet, some of that you can even ignore uh, because it's kind of family talk. But we have to talk for a few minutes about what this means for us. At Crossroads, every one of us who's a part of this church, we're here by virtue of the work that Christ did on the cross. We didn't earn a spot. We haven't earned God's forgiveness and favor. We received it as a gift. Amen? Amen. And so everything that we do is from a basis of grace, not works. We don't accept people based on how they live their lives. We accept them based on what Jesus has said is true about them. And so... Why would we have a problem with someone coming into the church even if they have some significant public moral failures? We accept people like that, don't we? Of course we do. And that's exactly what Paul's going to address today. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, You're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? The right response to this kind of failure isn't pride. It's to be brokenhearted for them. Now, if you have stopped sinning, you might have trouble relating to somebody who has a sin problem. But for the rest of us, We know all too well how easy it is to stumble and fall. How easy it is for something to take over, an addiction, a habit, a hang-up, to kind of flood into our lives. And before you know it, it's driving our behavior, not the gospel. We know what that struggle is like. And yet, there is something that happens when we hear about someone's sin And the first place we go is not necessarily mourning for them. Notice that Paul doesn't say, you're proud, you should have been self-righteous. You should have been indignant. You should have come down on him like a ton of bricks. I I want you to notice that the first reaction, he says, is mourning, brokenhearted. You don't mourn over those things which you don't care about. The implication is clear. You ought to have cared for this person and what's best for them. And that would have broken your heart. Have you known someone, a friend, a family, a neighbor, a coworker who battled an addiction or an issue and was making progress and then fell off the wagon? Have you seen or have you experienced what it's like to fail again? All of us know someone. Many of us are that person. That's the emotion that should start our conversation today. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
So he says, you should have loved them. We're okay with that so far. If we, were, if we could pray right now, we would leave and not be as uncomfortable as what's going to happen next. Because the next phrase we're going to struggle with. He says, you're proud. You should have mourned, and you should have put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this. What? We just went from being loving and accepting to harsh and judgmental. Where did this come from? And how in the world could Paul expect a church like us, a church like Corinth, to do that? Why would he say that? Aren't we the place where it's safe? Isn't this the place where it's accepting? Now, I would love to right now break up into some small groups and let you wrestle with that for the next hour. It deserves that kind of digestion. I'm very aware of the fact that you're thinking, if you just sit tight for a minute or two, I'm going to start explaining that. And you're going to go, And while it's sort of my job, it's actually our job to wrestle with this. Why would Paul say such a thing? Now, a couple of things for background. First of all, you need to understand the culture in which he lived. Okay, he's writing to Christians, many of whom used to be Jews, living in a Roman empire. Now, in Rome, there were a lot of things that were allowed, some things that weren't. In the Jewish culture, they had all kinds of religious rules that the Romans didn't give a flip about. But Rome was smart. And so what they said to the Jews was, look, don't bring all those religious cases to us. Don't go flooding our court system. We don't really care. You guys can judge yourselves when it comes to your religious law. As long as you don't break a Roman law, you guys take care of it yourself. So they were given the freedom to make these kind of judgments. When the Jews had courts dealing with religious law and its violation, where did that that kind of work occur? At their temple and in those temple courts. There was space there for meetings and decisions and deliberations and judgments. So they executed their religious law in their temple. Now, take a step forward. Now we've got Christians who used to be Jews. Now the Jews themselves are a minority among this Roman culture. And the Christians are a tiny minority among the Jewish culture from the Romans' position. Now, when... Christians are caught violating Jesus' commands. How will the Christian church respond? To be honest, they're certainly not going to go to Rome. They can't even go to the Jewish courts. But it would be normal for them to deal with it in their church gathering. It's the last thing in the world we expect in our church gatherings. And yet, that would be the only place. So, first of all, you've got to know that what Paul's saying, some of it is actually quite natural to them. It should have happened right there and then. Isn't it funny how you and I think about discipline? The, the very first images in our mind are not positive. Nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes to be corrected or admonished. And yet, if we're honest... There is a lot of discipline that's positive. When you plant a tree, you drive a stake or two in around it, right? And you kind of tie it up. You're not trying to limit that tree. 
You're trying to protect it. You spend money on your kids' teeth. Put braces on your kids' teeth. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars putting braces on your kids' teeth. Not to make them suffer, but to make them look beautiful, even though they will never come back and thank you for it. There are so many aspects in which braces, a stake, maybe a second set of wheels on your bike so they don't crash, they're not there to limit. They're there to protect and guide. Look both ways before you cross. You're not trying to harangue them. You're trying to drill it into their mind because you believe it's going to protect them later. Don't talk with your mouth full over and over and over again. You know, if we think about it, most of us would have to agree that from God's perspective, we miss the boat on a daily basis. Yes? We fail to live up to even the standards that he's called us to. He's given us the spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us other believers. And still, with all of that support, we blow it. Pretty much on a daily basis. Little things, bigger things, but we blow it. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That if God knows that we're going to be happiest by living by his standards, when we blow it, wouldn't we expect him to respond with something that's corrective? Of course. And since God says that we, his church, are his hands and his feet, he loves us enough to not let us get away with things that are going to hurt us. And since we are the hands and feet, suddenly we find ourselves in this very uncomfortable position that we sometimes might need to be the voice of admonishment to a brother or sister. Does that make sense? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's pleasant. And you're still wondering how in the world it gets done. He's gonna, we're going to talk about that. But first, we just got to get it straight. It's not really unreasonable to realize that sometimes we need to speak to one another. Not just how we should live, but sometimes we have to say how we should not live. Now, I know it's really easy for us to react negatively to this idea of a church having any kind of corrective action toward someone in the church. And it it makes sense. There have been so many abuses of this kind of idea through history. Um, The Spanish Inquisition from Roman Catholicism, um, Zwingli and and, uh, other guys uh, pursuing the Anabaptists, our background, you know, burning them at the stake because they won't baptize babies. There are so many experiences. Some of you even were exposed. I I was exposed early in my faith to fundamentalism. (laughs) Fundamentalism, which meant that if, you're, you had the wrong, if your hair was too long or your skirt was too short, you were going to hell. If the music had a beat, you were going to hell. If music was playing and your feet crossed, you were dancing, you're going to hell. Right? So if you've been exposed to any of those things or heard about those things, it's so easy to immediately go to something that's negative. But we have to remember that when God disciplines oh, his, his children often misinterpret and misapply what he says. But when God does it, 
He knows how to do it for the right reason in the right way. Turning your Bibles to the book of Hebrews for a minute. Uh, something happened, Steve. This is the wrong PowerPoint. I think maybe it, it uploaded early. I'm going to abandon that because it won't help. So if you've got a Bible, you're going to need it, okay? It's not you. I think it's, it auto-saved and didn't go in. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 4. We're going to read probably 10 verses, so hang on, right? If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue hardcover Bible there in front of you. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines the ones that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined, then everyone, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while while they, th- while they thought it was best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Do you hear God's perspective on correction? Now, some of, some of us would say right away, I got no problem with God correcting me, just not you. That's fair. I, I totally understand that. I would take God's correction over yours any day. But I have to admit the fact that God has chosen to use me in your life and you in my life. And so if we're given that responsibility, we ought to make sure we interact with one another, not just on the good stuff. Oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. But sometimes there's going to be a time where we go, what? That's not right? How do we respond? Luckily, Jesus told us how to handle conflict. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Starting in verse 15, Jesus gives us at least four steps in approaching one another in some kind of a conflict or confrontation. He's quite clear about how we ought to do this. Listen to the words of our Savior. Starting in verse 15, but if, the, if, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Step one is private. Step one is you go to them. You try to keep it just between the two of you. You're hoping to tell them what you think happened, why you think there's a problem, and you work it out the two of you. 
And what Jesus says is, and if they listen, you've got a real brother. Have you ever had somebody care enough to actually ask you a hard question? When you have had that, you realize they actually care more for you than you ever knew. Step two, verse 16. But if they will not listen to you, let's be honest. You come to me and you say, hey, Mike, I really think that, uh, you know, you should not, whatever. And I just dismiss you. It's easy to do. He says, if that happens, go back, take one or two others along so that the matter may, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So now I'm going to go back to you again, but now I'm bringing someone else with me. Now, this is where it gets a little messy, because usually that's where we start. Somebody does something wrong, and the first thing we do is we talk to four or five or six or eight or ten others just to see if maybe am I on the right page, do you think, right? Do you think? And, and we, we, we kind of gather a little team otherwise known as a mob. Now we have a team. Now we're just, hmm. And do you know why that never works? Is because, first of all, you already have disobeyed what Jesus laid out. But now when you bring one or two others, and I've been in this situation, as the pastor sometimes say, like, Pastor, could you come meet with me with them? <laughs> sure. I kind of come in, and sometimes I don't even know what the conflict was about at first, but I'm listening. But the fact that I'm here, suddenly this person who blew you off they're not so quick to blow you off. Good. So we're already getting, getting some traction. Listen, listen. And, and then as they respond, like, uh, okay, I don't know about this, but th- this is worth considering, don't you think? Yeah. And so with two or three others, sometimes there's a sense of accountability. And again, if they respond, if they, are, are, they submit or they explain themselves or there's a plan, we're good to go. Verse 17, though. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Do you see the escalation? Now, we should probably talk for a couple seconds about what it means to tell the church. Um, again, in, <laughs> that would be an exciting service, wouldn't it? Yeah. List of names and people and places and video clips. In our setting today, first of all, we are very aware of the fact that almost every Sunday we have guests here, and some of those guests are not perhaps even believers. So this is not the setting that we would probably take care of this. When we say church, they don't, it's not necessarily referring to the Sunday morning worship service. In many passages in the scriptures, issues or items were brought to the church, and actually what that meant was it was brought to the church leadership. Brought to the elders, brought to the council. And so there's a possible explanation there that at least this thing, if, if two or three and they still blew you off, you bring it to the elders. Sometimes, and we'll, we're not going to get to all those passages this morning, sometimes there are reasons for the entire church to know. And in that case, in our setting, if you're a shareholder, you'd probably receive a, a letter from us because we're including just you, those of us who, are, who have committed to this family. In fact, if, if you've become a shareholder in the last few years here at Crossroads, you might, you probably don't, but in the packet as we went through material, you agreed to follow a biblical guideline, set of guidelines for dealing with confrontation, 
and division and issues. You, you agreed to handle this biblically. You just may not even remember. We're committed to that. Verse, uh, the, the end of verse 17. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Ouch! I mean, everyone here knows that we treat unsaved people bad. Wait, no, we don't. In fact, on a Sunday morning, we try to treat you like a guest of honor if you don't know Jesus. We're just so glad you're here. He is not describing bad treatment. He's not describing mean, nasty, chest-pounding. That's not what he's describing. But then what in the world is he describing? How is it that we respond to someone? Well, what is the difference between someone that you know to be a believer? Maybe you meet with them on a regular basis. Maybe you're in a Bible study, a discussion group, a life group, a Sunday school class. You've, you've shared part of your life. They've shared part of your life. There's an intimacy. Now compare that connection, the language you would use to share a prayer request or to listen to a need. Think about how you would respond. It's funny. This week, I, I send out, we send out quite a number of prayer requests. I send out a prayer request, but I got a response from somebody who got copied who isn't a believer. And they said, uh, thanks for letting me know, but what is all this stuff? <laughs> Whoops. I, yeah, well, I, well, I didn't think clearly. But their response reminded me what a difference there is between believers and unbelievers. And we wouldn't talk to them the way we do us. What happens when a brother or sister continues to sin and they've been spoken to in love and they've been challenged and they've been admonished and even the church leaders have been involved and to all of them the message is the same. Go take a hike. Then somehow we find a way to mentally begin treating them back the same way we would do with someone who didn't know the Lord yet. Suddenly it's not this, hey, brother, how you doing? Because now suddenly there's something wrong. And so our demeanor changes. This is not easy. This is not easy at all. It's very awkward. Some of you, even now as I'm talking, you're thinking, mm-mm, not doing it. Nope, nope. I'll just take my lumps with Jesus later. Not doing it. And I understand that. It's easy to wrestle with what he's really saying here. In fact, the Corinthians misunderstood what Paul said. Skip down to verse 9. He says, I wrote you in my letter, a previous letter that wasn't kept and wasn't recorded, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am not writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claimed, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. He makes it pretty clear. I'm not talking about how you treat unsaved people. I'm talking about how you treat one another in the church. We always get this backwards, don't we? We hear about something on the news, and we're like, oh, the world's just going to 
Hades and a handbasket. And then when we get here and somebody messes up, we go, okay, well, whatever, you know. Because, um, I mean, I mess up too, you know, so live and let live. Hey, won't judge you. You don't judge me. This is cool. Let me make something clear. Paul is not addressing the kind of stumbles that we all make. He's not talking about the things that we, every one of us is going to struggle with day in and day out. He's talking about a lifestyle choice. That after being spoken to and admonished and encouraged, the answer over and over and over again is no, 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 no. And at some point in that process, remember, Paul's talking about step four in the process. Assuming that already step one, step two, step three has already occurred. And now, instead of responding in some way, the church is instead thinking, well, this is kind of cool. We are so open. We are so sophisticated. We're cool. He mentions a number of things. Immorality, false teaching, causing division. Those are the kinds of things, when it happens continually, those things are deserving of some action by the church if it doesn't stop. And can we just be honest for a minute? As long as we're sure that it would be somebody else getting in trouble, not us, don't we want somebody to address those things? We don't want it to go on. We just would rather not be the ones to have to do it. There are a lot of reasons to not admonish, to not correct a brother. But I want to list a few things before we wrap up today. Things that should compel us to think about doing it the way Jesus described. We ought to think about confronting or admonishing brothers who are sinning for the good of the offender. For, the good of, for their good. Because we know that sin destroys. Just like in the garden... You know, if you eat it, you will surely die. They ate it. They didn't die. Oh, oh, the death wasn't apparent immediately. But the wheels were set in motion. For their good, please don't do this anymore. Do you know somebody who is involved in something that could threaten their lives? I do. Please stop. Secondly, it's important to confront or to admonish, to warn other believers I mean, after all, if no one spoke to him, no one spoke to her, no one spoke to him, no one spoke to her, what's the big deal if I do? And before you know it, we can easily be tempted. It's a way for us to say to one another, don't go there. For the whole church, this idea that um, we could perhaps stop sin before its effects keep spreading. Paul says, he talks about leaven, talk about leaven, You know, leavening the whole bunch. You put a little leaven in one corner, but it doesn't stay in that corner. It works its way through the whole pile of dough. What he says is that can happen in churches. Think about what we saw in Revelation, chapter 2.15 or 3.16 or 2.5, when he says, you guys, you started out well, now I want to spew you out of my mouth. What has happened? What happened was sin started someplace small and nobody caught it and it just spread to everyone. Before you know it, Everyone is apathetic. Everyone lives any way they want. What Jesus teaches is just a suggestion. For the testimony of the church. It's important that we address this for the testimony of the whole church. Now, what do we want our testimony to be? A bunch of self-righteous judges. No, no. 
But we don't want to be just like the world we live in, do we? In a recent survey by the American Sociological Review, they interviewed uh, 3,000 or 30,000, a good number of religious people. They asked uh, lots of questions, but one of the questions was about premarital sex. Have you or were you, have you been involved with sex before you were married? The Christians responded, those who marked themselves as evangelical Christians. Guess what the percentage was? 79%. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's not a person here who hasn't been tempted sexually. Every one of you have. We all have, and we all fail in that area somehow. But 79%. By the way, you know what I found really shocking? Guess what the percentage was for Muslims? 43%. Guess what the percentage was for Hindus? 19%. Seriously? Is that where we want to be on that chart? Does that set us up to be on a platform where we can say, Jesus can change your life? Sometimes we have to confront one another just to help maintain the testimony of our church. And lastly, of course, for the glory of God. God is a holy God. It makes sense that his people would at least attempt to live more holy. There's a lot of things that are at risk here. The church can experience a loss of purity. Holy God, unholy us, where did God go? We don't have that connection anymore. We lose our connection with God because of sin. Remember, we talked about the not-not walk. Grieve not, quench not, but walk in the Spirit. What happens when we're grieving or quenching? The power of God is cut off. We lose our purity. We lose our power. There's a loss of progress. We could be moving forward, and instead, we are stuck right where we are. Does that sound like anybody you know? Corinth? You bet. Loss of purpose. In the end, we kind of forget why we're here in the first place. We are not here to sing songs, folks. We are not here to, like for a little Bible lesson, We're not here to kind of connect with some religious friends and and feel comfortable and feel welcome, feel like we have our little posse. We are here for one reason, and that is to reach the rest of the world with the gospel and make disciples. How will we do that if our power and our purity, all progress is lost? Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So how do we do this? Not today. Not today. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about how a church perhaps should actually act in admonishing one another when something goes wrong. We're going to look at the guidelines that we have in the New Testament, and we're going to check our hearts. But today, as we come to the Lord's table, there's really just one piece of work to be done. 
Many of you received, I think, in your bulletin this morning, a small pamphlet. Peacemaking Principles. This is a great resource. In fact, if you look it over carefully, you could skip next week's sermon. You will have to take a quiz first, but then you'll be excused. Peacemakers is an organization committed to just this, helping churches learn to deal with sin and confrontation and conflict in a biblical way. Now, you'd be really blessed and encouraged to know that your leaders, our leadership board, has spent time over this whole past year receiving specific training for church leaders in how to follow these principles. They've been watching videos and having conversations and filling out workbooks. They have been working because they take this work seriously. I want to encourage you to take a look through this. Begin prepping yourself for next week because it's an important conversation. But today, we go back to Paul's first admonition when he says, you're proud and you should have mourned. So we come to the Lord's table today. I encourage you to start with you. To realize that he forgave you of so much. That through faith, his grace is made available to you. And that even when you still stumble, he loves you and draws you back to himself. He loves you so much that he won't let you get away with junk And by his grace, sometimes he uses other believers to make that point. And so today as we take this, not only do we celebrate the fact that Jesus gave his life for us and that life is ours through faith, but that we will remain humble toward others who stumble. And if we are the vehicle of his grace, then we're privileged to be used by God, to help each other. Let me ask you, are you struggling with something today? Is there some besetting sin, some habit, something that actually nobody knows about, but you just, it just, key, it's, you, you are not making much progress. If I told you that there was one person in this congregation that has the key to helping you make progress again and have victory over that, if that one person was here, Would you like to know their name? Would you receive them if they approached you? Would you view them as a gift from God rather than some judgmental, who do you think you are? And what Paul's saying is, God has done just that. Each of us may be that for one another. We're not judging the little stuff, but the stuff that can set your whole life on fire, that doesn't change even though somebody's spoken to you, We're not going to let that happen without a fight. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day. He died for you. He offers eternal life as a gift. We receive it by faith. But most of us are believers here today. Most of us are painfully aware of the sin that continues to 
crop up in our lives. And we're wondering, even as we talk about this, we're wondering if any of those rise to this level. As we come to the Lord's table, I would encourage you to start at Calvary. Experience again in vivid detail, in your, in your mind's eye, in your imagination. Experience again his death for you. His blood shed. His blood ran red so that I could be washed white. And if he would do that for you, then he can empower us to live for him. And we can approach others, not with judgment, but with humility because of his grace. As the ushers, those who are going to help serve, come forward, let me lead us in a word of prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it is perfectly okay to let these elements pass by. It's not rude at all. We're we're commemorating Jesus' death for us. And if you're not at that place yet, it makes no sense for you to take the elements. It's perfectly okay to pass it by. We would encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in obedience to your command, we're coming now, taking these elements, remembering again your death for us. Cleanse us from the sin that we confess. Holy Spirit, speak to us and move in us. Bring us back to that place that we could worship you and honor you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.